right, welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm Kate, the producer of Pod Rocket. With me today is Brendan, one of our engineers at Log Rocket. Hi, Brendan. How's it going? Hey, Kate. It's going great. How are you? It's going great. Um, I just keep uh, recruiting some of our engineering team to go on the podcast, and um, it's been awesome. Um, and also with us is Hannah Neal. Hi, Hannah. How's it going? Hey, Kate. Great. I'm glad we have Brendan here because I love talking to engineers. I'm so excited. Hannah is the community manager at Nginx. Um, and yeah, Hannah, do you want to kind of get started and just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're working on? Sure. Yeah. So I joined Nginx about three months ago. Before that, I was at Postman. I've been doing technical community management for the last few years. I actually have a marketing background uh, prior to that. Uh, don't hold that against me. And um, <laughs> uh, I do have a lot of love and respect for marketing. And through that, uh, through events, I got to know a lot of developers uh, that I was working with and found that I really liked sitting next to them at lunch and having more technical conversations to understand the products. And that led me towards community management. Uh, and so at Nginx, I focus a lot on uh, open source and we're revitalizing our community after a bit of a break uh, from nurturing it. And I have a wonderful team and really loving what we're doing. Awesome. No, no shame in marketing here, yeah. Not at all. Absolutely not. I respect it a lot. <laughs> but it doesn't get all the credit it deserves, in my opinion. So that maybe seems like a, a great place to dive in and, and start the conversation. Um, you know, what does it mean to be an open source community manager? And, and maybe how do you think that role is different from what we would think of as a, a more traditional community management role, maybe for a consumer brand? Sure, absolutely. Well, the kind of most obvious difference is open source community manager really focuses on contributions, um, whether that's to code or documentation. It's really focused on that contributor management as well as the rest of um, ecosystem around community. Whereas uh, for when we're on like more proprietary software, there are other community activities that are also equally as important, but you'd focus more on, you know, if there's tutorials that folks are making or conference talks, if there's a forum or social media that's really active. So it's less directly about how folks are contributing to code and more about the kind of general community vibe. And you said that you were kind of starting to revitalize the the open source community around Nginx. I'm curious if that's something that's sort of part of a, a broader strategy or, or sort of what's the general reason why you're starting that effort now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nginx hasn't done a ton of nurturing in its community for the last few years. That's something we're pretty open about. And recently, a community team has been put together kind of within 2021 that's really focused on all things open. And so we have myself as community manager. We have an awesome evangelist who has years of experience. We have a developer advocate and our community team manager. And so we're now starting to take a look at how do we revitalize a healthy community that we haven't touched in a while? How do we nurture an environment where people want to participate in our community and where people feel ownership in our community? And so we're not starting from scratch. Nginx has some wonderful contributors. Uh, there are folks that answer questions on third-party platforms all the time. Um, but it's time for us to actually step in and support those efforts and bring it back to the thriving community that we hope it'll be. 
I know this is probably something you're talking about a lot internally, but do you have a vision of what a healthy community looks like and, and maybe what are some of the metrics that you would use to gauge you know, how the community is, is growing over time? Ooh, metrics. That's my favorite and least favorite topic. Um, <laughs> least favorite, really. Um, so, so far, we don't have any that are set directly on, you know, X number of contributors by the end of the year or something like that. Um, personally, for metrics, I'm about to relaunch a, or yeah, properly launch a Slack for the Nginx community. And so we'll be measuring things on active participation for non, you know, mandatory channels, things that folks find on their own, for example. Um and I forgot the beginning of your question already. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think I think that's a, a a reasonable answer. And I think there's also sort of, you know, it sounds like some element of feeling out the community and seeing who's there and what their interests are and, and how generally people want to contribute to the product. Exactly. And, and then sort of structuring that program more. Absolutely. Yeah. I like to view myself more as a community steward than community manager. Ultimately, community is about what they want to make it. You know, the Nginx community, while I view myself as part of it, I view other Nginxers as part of it, it is not just our community to hold and our vision. We can help nurture what people want and how they participate and have ownership in it. Otherwise, it's kind of a managed or directed network as opposed to an actual genuine community. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I know you've only been there a short time so far, but are there any particular interactions or, or sort of events you've had with the community that have really stuck out or, or been exciting to you? Yeah. So when I first joined, one of the first things I started looking at were Stack Overflow and Reddit and the questions that were coming in about Nginx. There's an Nginx subreddit that is actually really active. And I was amazed to see how many people, even without moderation, just regularly returned and answered questions. I saw one interaction on there recently that someone commenting wasn't on their best behavior And it was really lovely to see how people stepped in to say, like, no, actually, this is the right place to ask questions. This is the right place to learn. This is why we're here. Um, And so I've just been really impressed with the way that people are are answering each other's questions already and starting to nurture that community on third-party platforms. It's something entirely voluntary. It's something that we haven't been incentivizing or anything. And so seeing that it's already out there without us having to put major effort into that uh, feels really special and something I feel lucky to be walking into. Yeah, that's that's really great. You've mentioned Slack and you've mentioned Reddit. I'm curious if there are any other sort of particularly strong channels for Nginx where the community already exists that that you've discovered? Yeah, Stack Overflow is a big one. Um, I created an RSS feed within our own internal Nginx Slack and like 20 questions a day or so tagged comes in about Nginx. Um, Not all of them are actually about Nginx proper. They just mention, oh, you know, here's my Nginx config as part of, you know, what we're trying to figure out here. Um, But that would be, uh, honestly, I think more popular than Reddit. Reddit just has people answering each other's questions more. Uh, And Slack's going to be relaunched soon. So I have no idea what that's going to look like and how that's going to, you know, how that's going to be active. But yeah, that's going to be a new one. Um, Cool. I thought we could, uh, we'll come back to to communities in in a bit, but I thought maybe we could take a step back and, and talk a little bit about your background and, and how you came to the sort of roles that that 
you're in now. Um, I know you mentioned mm-hmm. you started with a marketing background. Could you maybe tell the story of your career? Where did you start? How did you come to community management? And maybe what's excited you or kept you coming back for more of those roles? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oddly enough, I would say that my story into community management started with Model United Nations in college. Uh, (laughs) Not what you'd initially connect with developer relations, but a lot of the folks I was friends with and I was traveling with were actually computer science majors. They just happened to get into Model UN in high school or like the international aspect of it. Um, But I focused a lot on community building there as well as hosting events, being our team captain uh, where I went to college. And that was one of my first chances to be in community with developers, even if that wasn't what we were focused on. And I studied political science and wanted a job in that and stumbled into marketing. I'm from the Bay Area, and so tech is the obvious path in that way. And uh, wasn't entirely fulfilled in it until I started focusing on developer tools. And my second week, I came from Kong, um, where I, I joined as marketing coordinator. And my second week was at KubeCon in Seattle. And I didn't know what the heck I was talking about. People would come up and try to poke holes in whatever spiel I was giving. And uh, my coworker and now dear friend Harry spent the entire week just sitting with me using stickers as a diagram to try to explain what was going on, try to explain what API calls are. I mean, heck, I barely knew what an API was when I started. And uh, that's something that really stuck with me that someone actually took the time beyond here's the 30 second spiel to memorize someone actually taking the time to sit with me and explain what this technology was to explain it in words that I understood. And that made me feel part of it. And so I sat at one point uh, sitting at lunch table and was able to kind of regurgitate what I'd understood about Kong using the salt and pepper shakers uh, on the table. And I was able to explain that to other folks in the marketing team who might have understood things in their own way. But I felt really proud of understanding, even if it wasn't a tool I was able to use. And I felt a strong connection between the other folks who do use Kong from the developers on the team to folks that I was meeting at trade shows and even just having that understanding uh, and knowing that if I wanted to learn more, there were folks who were out there who cared, uh, who were willing to take the time with me. I wasn't just stuck with internet tutorials or someone I could actually ask questions to made me feel part of the community. And so when I had a chance to do developer marketing at Kong, That's what I really fell in love with. And I wound up uh, over at Postman as the technical community manager, met some folks at a conference. They overheard me talking about Kong. And uh, when that role opened up, I jumped at it. And I I didn't know that that was a career opportunity. I didn't know that community management for developer relations was even a thing. And Uh, I don't think I would have gotten to this point if it wasn't for my friends sitting there with stickers over and over and over explaining what the product is. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of interesting to see how you've kind of built a niche in these really API-driven sort of deeply technical (laughs) product communities, but, but sort of don't come from a technical background yourself. I'm curious, you know, what have been, you know, some of the ways that that you've built connections with people in in those communities over time, and and maybe 
you know, for other people who, who aren't coming from technical backgrounds, uh, but, but are interested in tech, what has that experience been like? Yeah. Um, hmm. Very good question. I really like catching people at the beginning of their education journey. If they're learning a new tool, if they're learning a new language, finding someone else who's also a beginner out there, if you show that interest and kind of walk through the steps with each other, um, I think that can build deep connections and provide valuable insights and relationships that we wouldn't have necessarily had before. I'm sorry, I totally forgot the question. Could you <laughs> could you repeat yourself, Brandon? <laughs> no, that's that's fine. Um, I I was curious to hear if you had sort of you know any thoughts or experiences to share for people who were sort of interested in tech but coming from non technical backgrounds and, and what that experience has, has been like for you going into sort of very very technical communities. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the first I would say is that I think that divide between non-technical and technical is overhyped. I think that especially if you're coming from a background that isn't engineering, that this idea of being technical or not technical enough is something that we might impose on ourselves a little too much. I'm learning bits and pieces. I'm trying really hard. I still think of myself as not technical, even though I technically had technical in my title in my last role. And so I think one of the big things that folks can do to find their community, to get closer to engineers, to learn more about products, to learn more about technology, is to kind of get over that mindset of I'm not technical, so therefore this isn't for me. No matter where someone is on the spectrum of their you know technical journey, there's always going to be a tool or a language or something that they don't understand as well. And so there is, you know, a spectrum of where we're at and don't sell yourself short uh, on it if you're really interested in learning. I have a question. Um, sorry to totally derail. Um, but I, this might be just like what I've seen, but I was curious, like Postman um, has like a, um, is like a college program or um, I'm kind of curious, like, what's the strategy around that? Um, I just, I've seen it a lot. And I'm just kind of curious, like, um, I just something I wouldn't necessarily think of as a brand to do. But I'm, yeah, curious kind of the strategy there. Yeah, the Postman Student Expert Program is actually pretty cool. So they focus on education and community building with university and high school students. Uh, currently, I think it's modeled a little bit after like the GitHub Campus Program where you have campus leaders. Uh, it's been a little while and it's evolved since I was actually involved with it. But uh, I think that the mindset on that is that if you reach people, again, early in their learning careers. So if it's folks that are computer science majors or just really interested and want to go into tech, the earlier you reach someone with a tool and make that part of their kind of core foundational knowledge, I think the more likely they are to use it going forward in the future. And so if these students are using Postman, you know, and I, I think it's a really valuable, useful tool um, for many folks uh, in a lot of different personas here. And so uh, if you reach them really early, then they'll still be using Postman and have those, you know, skills and the ability to use it in their future jobs or to teach other people about it. And so, you know, there's it's like... Don't quote me entirely on this, which I'm saying on a podcast, but something like 37 million developers in the world or something, but there are millions more students. And so that is a really ripe opportunity to get a community and customer base early. 
Totally. That makes so much sense now. Yeah. <laughs> I actually really get that a lot. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Plus students are so enthusiastic and come up with really interesting use cases and really interesting way to phrase things. And so uh, I believe that having students as part of community really enriches the experience overall for all of us, even if we're out of university ourselves. Um, hearing you talk about sort of student programs and, and talking about KubeCon and, and sort of all of these very sort of uh, central in-person developer experiences obviously has me thinking about how not in-person the last couple of years have been and how much of a change that's been, you know, for a lot of developers, I'm sure for a lot of of communities around developers. Um, Everyone can can check off the COVID square on on the bingo card now that I've brought it up. (laughs) But I'm curious sort of what your perspective is on, on how the last few years have changed community management and and technical communities and whether you think those changes are sort of long lasting or whether that's something that will kind of snap back over the next few years. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'll start off by saying I miss in-person events enough that you could probably convince me to go to reinvent again. And that's something that I had literal nightmares about the last time I was there. Uh, That being said, I think that accessibility is a huge part of virtual events now and something that I'd really like to keep. So if folks are giving conference talks, for example, there's a chance to have captions for folks who are hard of hearing or you can have it translated. Uh, Folks can come to meetups or conferences virtually that they might not have been able to attend on different sides of the world. And so especially if you have someone who can't get a visa to travel, for example, to have something virtual really does lend itself to accessibility. Um, Something I do really appreciate as well about everything being virtual is that it feels like it's legitimized the friendships and relationships that might have been kind of minimized because they're internet friendships. Like Kate and Brendan, do either of you have folks you'd consider internet friends? You know, someone off of Twitter that you've become friends with? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Those relationships have become even more and more valuable, uh, especially as we've seen our in-person relationships switch to more online and forcing our hand for all of us to be equal in that way, I think allows those friendships that might not have been perceived as as important or as real to come to light. That was something I struggled with. Um, I remember I had a, a friend growing up who was a lot of gaming friends, and I really didn't understand that. But now some of my closest friends are scattered around the world, and it's because of Zoom and WhatsApp and Twitter that we have these connections. So, and do you a hybrid feel like, approach would be great. Oops, yeah. Do you, <laughs> do you feel like that sort of shift you identified is is something that's going to kind of stay with us, or or do you think it will kind of fade back as as we go towards whatever the the future of normal looks like? Yeah, I hope it does. I hope it does in a lot of ways. I hope that mindset of virtual is accessible and virtual is important is is still there. I don't think that virtual can replace in-person connections in every state uh, in, in every way, but knowing that we can actually adapt our activities to do it virtually, I think we'll kind of keep those options open in a way that we didn't have to consider pre-pandemic. I'm also not sure there's going to be a like classic afterwards. I don't know. Maybe that's pessimism two years in, but I don't know if it's going to go back to the way that we saw it before. And so I don't know. That's, a, that's still a big question mark. 
Yeah, I think. What do you think? <laughs> well, you know, especially for for a lot of my friends who are developers, there's no way you're getting them back into an office oh, God, uh, no. ever again. So I think yeah. at least, you know, at least in some ways, certainly the software industry has has shifted mm-hmm. probably permanently. Um, and absolutely, I think there will be a lot of other things that, you know, don't go back to the way they were, even if they go back to some sort of equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Totally agreed. Yeah, remote work is a huge one. Um, I'm born and raised in the Bay Area. I lived there my entire life until four months ago where I packed up and moved myself to Portland, Maine, which I never thought I would do or have the opportunity and ability to. And I miss the silliness of being in an office. I miss like walking up to someone and just totally derailing their day and interrupting them. But beyond that, I, yeah, I hope it's here to stay. I want to jump on on something that you kind of briefly mentioned, which was, you know, the way that that virtual events have have made parts of tech more accessible to to people. And and generally, I think some something that a lot of us in tech are thinking about are how to make it a more inclusive space and, and a more welcoming space. Um, I'm curious if if you have sort of thoughts about building inclusive communities in, in tech and, and maybe just even start with a, a general definition of what makes a community inclusive? Ooh, okay. I don't know if I'm the official source to provide the actual definition, but this is one of my favorite topics and something I care about arguably above all else. Um, to me, inclusive has a lot to do with psychological safety So being able to be yourself, to ask questions, to make mistakes without fear of repercussion or without fear of someone thinking less of you. Um, There's also, you know, diversity regarding underrepresented minorities. So whether that is from race or gender or uh, sexual orientation uh, for ability. So folks with various mental illnesses or chronic illnesses or folks that are blind or hard of hearing. um, Anyone that is traditionally left out of the mainstream conversation and mainstream available options. And we have the opportunity to build inclusive communities. We have the opportunity to focus on that. The conversation is going on. And it's not easy, but it's not as hard as people think it is. It's not as hard to go the extra couple of steps. And it will be dismantling whole ideas, you know, something that's been really pervasive or long lasting in culture. But when it comes to actually taking the steps, there are steps that folks can take sooner rather than later that aren't just the giant hurdle of capital D diversity or capital I inclusion. What What do you think that, that maybe some of those things that, you know, any of us in, in tech can do to make more inclusive spaces and, and more inclusive communities are? Yeah. um, For one, I'd say follow other people with different perspectives. So if you're on Twitter, tech Twitter can be quite the echo chamber. So like intentionally go out and follow some folks. Um, There's a wonderful hashtag black tech Twitter. I'm not part of that community, so it's not a conversation I participate in, but you can see some folks that, uh, oh gosh. Okay. Diversity is such a sensitive topic. I always hope that I'm approaching this correctly. I like, <laughs> you know, um, but there there are ways to to actually find and listen to the voices of folks that are out there and really do deserve to be listened to. 
Um, another one would be considering code of conduct. So if you are a community manager or if you participate in community, find out what the code of conduct is and have one if you don't. Um, so much about code of conduct is also about moderation. And so understanding what is and isn't acceptable in a community and being aligned with that is absolutely crucial. Um, and then beyond that, too, just, you know, taking the steps to think, can everyone use this? Should everyone use it? You know, there's a difference between being equal and being equitable. So is this something that everyone can actually access and use in the way that they need? Or is it just a blanket like, well, it's out there, so it's totally fine. It's accessible and inclusive. There's a pretty big difference there. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that's a really, a really nice way of, of putting it. Um, one of one of, I guess, the the other obvious questions is, you know, from where you sit as as a community manager, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, you're in a a position to sort of drive and and affect a lot of change in the community. Mm -hmm. What are sort of you know things that you feel like you've done or have worked for you in the past to create inclusive communities around the products that that you're a part of? Sure, absolutely. Um, I had really wonderful support from Postman to do projects that I found interesting. And I got to work with my team members to create a whole project on APIs for LGBTQ rights. So there was one that created a Slack bot with uh, Refuge Restrooms is a project that folks can show and contribute what restrooms are friendly for queer and trans folk. Um, and so there's a Slack bot where you put in the address where you're at and it sends you a list of accessible bathrooms nearby, for example, uh, as well as looking at open states data to see legislation about LGBTQ issues. Uh, and I was really encouraged to create that project, to write the blog post about it, to give a talk about it, and to kind of show ways that uh, technology can be used to be inclusive. Um, another thing that I really focused on when I launched was called the Postman Supernovas program. That's their kind of community ambassadors, was not just looking for who are the most popular people on Twitter. It's a lot more about passion and long-term investment in someone. And so really reaching out and saying, okay, you know, we don't have a ton of community representation from Latin America yet, like who speaks Spanish and really wants to participate in this and maybe give talks in Spanish. And so um, that was a great way for folks around the world to get to know each other too and exchange ideas um, and recommend each other. Um, you know, I couldn't be everywhere. Community manager can't be everywhere, nor do we want to be, you know, the community has to steward itself as well. We've got to empower our community. Um, and so just kind of identifying some key players and some areas that aren't currently being resourced and addressed and putting our energy towards that um, was really successful. Um, at Nginx, we are going to be working on a really inclusive code of conduct. Um, been following a lot about what Ava Black has been talking about with the Linux Foundation um, and the CNCF code of conduct. Uh, they have some really brilliant thoughts on that. And 
In terms of inclusiveness at NGINX, I'm really grateful that my team focuses strongly on psychological safety between the handful of us, because it's a lot easier to start from a place of security and work outward that way. And so if we're already fostering those relationships for us for our day to day, it's a lot easier to bring that out into the world as well. And so we haven't finalized our code of conduct yet. Um, that's an ongoing conversation, as is about how we want to moderate it. But we're able to focus on inclusion and diversity from the start now that we're actually revitalizing the community as opposed to trying to shoehorn it in or get people to change their mind and change their practices. We get to build it as part of the foundation. And I think that's pretty special. Something that... Um... I feel like as I'm hearing more about communities and and more about sort of products and and organizations building communities, as I wonder if there's a a point at which you risk just reaching like total saturation, right? Or or sort of burning people out in the sheer variety of communities that they have access to. Um, Is is there enough room for everyone to build communities and, and maybe who do you think should or shouldn't be focused on community as, as part of their strategy? Ooh, interesting. That's a really good question. Um, yeah, I think there's room for everyone. I think that there can be cross participation within communities. You can belong to multiple communities. You know, I'm the community manager for Nginx, but I still consider myself part of the Postman community, even though I don't work there anymore. Um, it's not an all or nothing thing. It's not a binary. You have to be with one and you can't be with another community. I think that as a society, community is something that we don't put enough value into anyway. We're really individualized and especially right now in COVID where we don't have the options to gather and we are really separated from folks. And so I think on a human to human level, Community is important for absolutely everyone, regardless of whether that's a tech community or a local interest group or your family even. When it comes to companies, I would say don't focus on community if you're not ready for it to be an actual community. If you want a managed network, if you want another marketing channel, that's not actually community in my opinion. And so if you're ready to put the resources into it and you want to connect with people who use your product or in your general ecosystem, say go for it. Um, Either that or connect with existing communities as well, you know, partner with people. Communities can grow and interact with each other. Um, But whatever it comes down to, do it with genuine interest and passion or else everyone will be able to smell through. That won't pass the smell test. (laughs) Yeah, we just had um, Rosie Sherry on the podcast. Um, uh, Rosie Land is her Twitter, I believe. But um, and yeah, she she said, uh, "Don't build a community." I don't want to misquote her, but it was something like, uh, "Be ready to do it for five years if you're going to build it." You know, which is like so crazy to think about. And as a as a brand, like I mean, what plan do you have for five years out? You know, but it's I think that's a really good piece of advice. Like. If you're going to do it, make sure you're in it for the long haul. Absolutely. Yeah. Community isn't something that you just spin up overnight. It's not enough just to like make a meetup group and say, okay, someone take it over. It's not enough just to have an active Twitter voice. If it actually is a community and it 
is involved with people's lives and emotions and more than just a network, it is the long game. And it's hard to think of that, especially if you're coming from, you know, a startup where you have to have immediate returns or hyper growth or any sort of really intense pressure and expect to see some sort of immediate results. Like that's just not how community works. And the deeper, I like to think of community, like having a lot of roots Um, You can spread outwards and sideways and you can gather a lot of people that way. But when it comes down to it, it's the roots and how deep the community can go together that makes it a lasting community. Otherwise, again, I think it's more of just a network and networks have their value, too. But if you want to consider an actual community, that's something you have to put effort and emotion and money and time into. Totally. No, I completely agree. Yeah. I was listening to uh, Rosie's podcast earlier this morning. I turned it off partway because I was like, I don't want to just repeat the same things that she says because they're in my head. <laughs> so I yeah, I'm like 20 minutes in, but that was a good podcast. She knows what she's talking about. <laughs> so maybe to to zoom all the way out and, and try to close with something fun and and big picture here. What do you think is the future of open source communities? Yeah, for the future of open source communities in particular, I think that there will be a mindset shift from code contributions being the be all end all towards other community activities. I think that that comes with decoupling this notion of technicality and value. You know, the more technical you are, the more code you write, the more valuable you are in a community. And so, I think that as we start to understand how important soft skills are, how important other aspects of community are, you know, the tutorials, the answering each other's questions, the supporting documentation, all of that is so, so, so critical and I think undervalued. And so in the future of open source community, I deeply hope that those will be more valued or there will be more prominence and focus on it. And that there are areas for inclusion. Ooh, how do I phrase that? Trying to make some sort of point about uh, in valuing the efforts of others beyond just code contributions, it also leaves room for a more inclusive community as a whole. We all have different things to bring to the table and respecting that, I think, or hope is the future of open source. Yeah, that's, that's such a nice answer. And it kind of brings us back to where we started. Uh, we've, we've come full circle in this half hour. <laughs> yeah, that was a really juicy question. I appreciate that. Uh, working backwards in my brain, I was like, well, what are we trying to do at Nginx? And all right, we're going to be the future, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. um, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for being on. Is there anything that you would like to point our listeners to? Um, you know, any, any plugs, uh, anything that, um, you would like people to go check out. Great. Okay. Um, I really hope that this is live in time because this is what I care about a lot, but we are relaunching our Nginx community Slack. And so if you are interested in Nginx at all, um, we'll have a link on nginx.org. That's our developer focused site that you can join us on there. And if, that banner is not up on the website when you check it, then hopefully it will be shortly after that. So come on back and ping me directly if you want to say hi. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah, we'll include that link uh, in our show notes. 
yeah, God, I, I've been trying to launch this Slack for like several weeks now, and it's just gotten delayed and delayed and delayed. So, well, now you committed to it. I know, I really did. So, <laughs> wanted to get something done, commit on air. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Hannah. It's been a pleasure, and uh, we'll see you around. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. Find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter, or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's Brian at Log Rocket. <laughs>